Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to all those who are watching online this morning. I love technology that people that can't be with us can still join us. I noticed last week, I was actually found it quite fascinating uh, on our uh, on our, um, as people were watching live, people were saying, hey, I'm watching from Sarnia, I'm watching from London, I'm watching Muskoka, I'm watching from Nova Scotia. It's uh, pretty, pretty amazing, and so we're very, very thankful uh, for technology this morning. Hey, I hope you're doing well and you've recovered from Black Friday shopping. It was really kind of crazy, crazy uh, out there uh, this past weekend. I want to say that um, for those who are here for the very first time, you're new among us, we are just want to say we're absolutely delighted uh, that you would um, join us and share part of your weekend uh, with us. You know, people are always asking, so what is Temple all about? Like, what do you guys do? What's, what are churches all about? I hear that sometimes. People that, aren't, that haven't gone to church. And I said, well, I can't speak for every church, but I can say what Temple is all about, and that is we're all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So we actually believe, we actually believe this to be true, that the most important relationship anybody can ever have is with Jesus. We believe that to the core, right to our core. And we just believe life is so much better when you get to do it with others. And so that's what we're all about. And so if you're new here this morning, uh, we can sum that up with, in one sentence what we're all about. And uh, by the way, my name is Donald. When I uh, say these words, what comes to mind? Power struggle. What images come to your mind? I assume you're probably not thinking of Ontario Power, struggling to get the power back on, you know, after maybe a storm. No, you're probably thinking of someone who was looking for control and there's a struggle going on because someone else doesn't want to give up the control. I think in all of us, if we're completely honest, we all want a little bit of control, a little bit of power. And have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that some people let power go to their head? Have you ever come across that? I recently heard um, a man had gone to the doctors here in Sarnia and um, he went and he was complaining of a sore throat. And so he went up to to the nurse's station to check in and uh, he says, yeah, I'm just here for a sore throat. uh, the, The nurse says, go down the hallway, door three, take off your clothes and jump on the table. The doctor will see you shortly. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just here for a sore throat. She said, I said, go down the hallway, door three, take your clothes off, jump on the table, and the doctor will be with you soon. Ma'am, you're, you're not listening to me. I, I just have a sore throat. She snapped her finger, said, young man, you walk down that hallway, you go to door three, take off your clothes, jump on the table, and the doctor will be with you very soon. He was quite confused and really didn't know what to do, so... He walked down the hallway, went into door number three, took off his clothes, jumped up on the table, wait for the doctor. It was a little awkward and a little embarrassing because there was another man there actually on the table too. <laughs> and, uh, and he says to the other man who was naked, said, boy, that's quite a nurse out there. He goes, yeah, I'll say, I, I'm just the Federal Express guy. I just came to make a delivery. <laughs> Sometimes a little power can go to our heads, can't it? 
And I'm sure there are actually power struggles that are going on right now in this congregation. There's the struggle between parent and child. And it starts at a very early age. There's a reason we call it the terrible twos, the tumultuous threes, the feisty fours, the fighting fives, right? And kids are always trying to push the boundaries. You know, how deep can they go uh, into the water to see who actually is uh, in control? And then, of course, there's the power struggles between, you know, husbands and wives. Who will be in charge of the finances? Who makes the schedule? Who determines the leisure time? And sometimes you'll see power struggles between employees and employers. Uh, We've just seen recently a five-week strike between colleges and those who are determining salaries and that. Uh, Sometimes you'll open up the paper and you'll read about a power play or power struggles that are taking place in big companies or people vying to be the next CEO. Sometimes you see power plays and power struggles going in behind closed doors. You read about it later, sometimes in politics. Like, who's going to be the next leader? Who's going to be the official spokesman for our party? And sometimes it isn't pretty, but churches can get tangled up in power struggles. And it can destroy. Boy, it can destroy a lot of churches. And something that we don't like to talk about often is there there's often a power struggle as who is going to be in charge of our life. Now, some of you may be quick here to respond to say, well, there's only one person in charge of my life, that's me. I make my own decisions, I make my own plans for the future. There's only one who controls my life, and that's me. I don't want to burst your bubble. I really don't, not on this beautiful Sunday morning. But we are not in control as much as we think we are. We love to live under the illusion that we are in control, but let me give it a little bit of advice to you. The sooner, the quicker you realize that we are not in control of it all, the better off you're gonna be. Because let me tell you, there is freedom in this statement, okay? I am not in control, and there's complete freedom in that statement. During this time of the season, uh, a lot of minds are captivated by uh, Jesus as a little baby. You know, the baby that was born in the manger. Jesus, who was born in humble surroundings. And even during the birth of Jesus, there was a power struggle going on. King Herod was so threatened, he did not want to share his power with anybody. In fact, he was so consumed with having power that he killed seven of his nine wives, 12 of his 15 sons, because he was threatened by them. Nobody was going to take King Herod's power. In fact, it came to a a climax when all of a sudden, all of his insecurities, all of his pride said, made an order to kill every single child that was two years and younger, every boy two years and younger in Bethlehem, kill them all. Why? Because he had heard rumors that there was a baby boy born who who was born to be the king of kings And he said, I will have absolutely nothing to do with that. Power struggles. Now, if you and I only think of Jesus as a a little baby, well, it's easy to have control. I mean, everyone knows you can have some kind of a control over a baby. I mean, we're adults, we're older, we're wiser, we're stronger. We have more life experience. It would be expected that we are in control when it comes to a baby. Hey there, perfect example, right here, yeah, you're so good, 
Yes, I understand. I made a new friend. I'm sorry. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. But you know, as soon as you think of Jesus as the Son of God, as soon as you think of him as the God-man, as soon as you think of him as the one who is sitting in heaven on his throne in full control, it becomes a little harder to control him, a little harder to have power over him. And here's my question. Why is it, why is it that we're so afraid to let God have control? Why? I mean, what is it that causes us to fear, to simply say, let go and let God? What is it that we think that God is going to do that's going to wrong us? Where have we learned that we can do better than God? How have we become so delusional that we think that we know more than the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the All-Present, the All-Knowing God? But we do. There's not just a small part of us that like control. There's a big part of us that like to be able to control. We like having the reins to our life. We like having our own hands on the steering wheel. However, let me remind us, we are not in control. No matter how much of a facade that we put on, that we have everything under control, we're not. In this chaotic, messed up world of ours, we are desperately wanting some control over our lives, to be able to gain some power to show that we have some possibility of making decisions. And just when you think your family is finally under control, one of your children go off the rails. You go, I didn't even see that coming. I've worked so hard that our family would be disciplined. Just when you think everything's under control, all of a sudden maybe a spouse walks out on you. And you're reminded again, I, I guess I'm not in control. I thought I had everything under control. You know, you plan an event, a big outdoor event, and it rains on you. You know, you put money in the, in the parking meter and you run in to the bank and you realize, oh my goodness, the line's a lot longer than I thought. Or you're at the doctor's office and you're waiting and, in fact, the wait is so long when you go back out, there's a ticket on your windshield. Or maybe you get laid off and, and you've been doing everything right. Or you get a biopsy and it comes back and you go, what? What? This is not part of my plan. This isn't having control. No, we only think that we have control. The fact is we cannot tame life. There's financial upsets. There's people's choices around us, things that mess up our plans all around us. But somehow we've conceived this idea that I must have more power so I can be more in control. And if I have more power, then I can order my life. But honestly, we deceive ourselves. Pop idol star Madonna described this, the seduction of success. These are her words. I have an iron will, 
And all my will has always been to conquer something, some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past it once in a while and discover myself as a special human being. And I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is this horrible fear of being mediocre and that it's always pushing me. And even though I feel like I'm a somebody by most people's standards, I still have to prove that I'm a somebody and my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. What a great snapshot of the idol of power and how it lures people to stay busy, 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 busy. In fact, so busy that we don't get to know God. And it's a danger for those who are followers of Christ. We get so busy that we forget to get to know God. Now Christians, those who you know, call themselves a, a follower of Jesus, we often will say, you know, the Lord is my strength. Uh, he is where I draw my strength. Uh, yeah, I have all kinds of obstacles in my life, but God is my strength. Yes, I've had some successes in my life, but the reason for my successes is because God is my strength. And I'm not afraid. Christians, will, sometimes you'll find, I'm not afraid to give away my power. I'm not afraid to be weak in front of somebody else. I'm not afraid to be wrong in front of somebody else because God is my strength. But somewhere along the line, we sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget and, and we get sucked into this golden calf around us and our hearts go unchecked and an unhealthy pride or insecurity, they marry and they wed deeply into our hearts and we seek our power and our strength and place us just so we can feel secure. So often we'll use power like a fig leaf to cover up our fears and insecurities and our ultimate sense of powerlessness that we actually know is there. And the good news is, the good news is this. Jesus says, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to stay busy, 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 busy trying to prove yourself that you're somebody, that you have power, that you are in control because real freedom comes when you say, I don't have control. Real power comes when you say, I am weak. But I gain power through Christ, who he himself became weak so that we might become strong. This is where you have peace and fulfillment and, and joy and forgiveness and meaning and purpose. That's power. All the other stuff is just stuff, but real power comes when we just acknowledge we are not in control. Freedom actually comes when we say, I am hopeless and I need God. I want to look at a guy in the Bible uh, this morning that I believe we all can relate to. The man's name is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. This is where we're first introduced to him. His name is actually Naaman. And some of you will be familiar with his story this morning. Second Kings chapter five, and uh, you can follow along as, I, um, as we read this morning. 
In verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So we're first introduced to this man. Like, he is like a, a genius military guy. Like He is a conqueror. He's a great guy. He's an amazing guy. He's like the guy that everybody else wants to be like. But at the very end it says, oh, and he was a leper. So I read through that again. It kind of reminded me of myself. You know, I, I always want to let people know all the good stuff that I've done first. You know, like we try to prove ourselves. I'm a somebody. And here, Naaman, it's just we're, we're listed of all the good things uh, that he has done. But at the very end, he says, though, he's a leper. Just a reminder again that we are not in control. Though he's accomplished a lot of things in his life, it is a reminder that no matter where you go in life or what you do in life, you don't have control. And that's what we know about Naaman. He's just like us. Let's pick up the story. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, oh, if only my master would see the, the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Well, by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 setting sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpah, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, just wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young man. Here's this military genius who has conquered battle after battle after battle, and he's helpless. And in one of the battles that he goes out, he captures this young girl from Israel. I don't know, maybe she's 14, 15 years old. And she's going to become his wife's handmaiden, like his, um, her servant, her maid. 
and, and she sees the condition that her mistress's husband is, Naaman, that he's got leprosy. And she says to the wife, she says, oh, if only my master would go to Israel. There's actually somebody there. There's a God who really can heal him of his problems. Well, of course, that news doesn't just stay silent. Um, Mrs. Naaman comes to him and says, listen, there's actually a treatment. I've heard of a treatment in Israel that maybe somebody can cure you. And, uh, and, and, and Naaman has, has solved a lot of his problems in life. I mean, he's planned out strategic plans on conquering other towns and countries and cities, but this one he cannot beat. He's absolutely helpless when it comes to solving the problem of leprosy. So he goes to his own king and he says, King, listen, I, I, I got an idea. I've heard that actually over in Israel, there is someone who could cure me. Now, the king loves Naaman. I mean, it's his, he's his, his, a general. It's the guy that wins all the battle. And of course, the king of Naaman is excited about this news. There's actually somebody that could save him. And so the king says, well, listen, listen, I'll, I'll do even better. I'll write a letter. I'll write a letter. You take it with you. And don't go to the prophet. Go right straight to the top. Go to the king. And so that's what happens. He makes his way to the king of Israel. He delivers the letter to the king, and the king is reading it. And he's terrified. He's terrified. He's horrified by this letter because he thinks he's going to be sucked into something. This is some kind of a ploy to get us to go to battle. And he just yells out, who am I, God? Like, am I God that I can cure you of your leprosy? And he begins to think, what is the real meaning? There's got to be something beyond just him coming to be cured of his leprosy. What is he really up to? And Naaman thought on the basis of his achievements and what he had brought to the king, gold and silver and clothes, now go ahead and heal me. Because, man, look what I have done. And look what I have brought you. But yet the king has more truth in him than maybe we realize when he says, I'm not God. I can't do that kind of thing. My power actually has limits. Well, the prophet Elisha hears and sends word to the king. Listen, send Naaman my way. And Naaman and his complete entourage and all of his chariots and all of his fancy gear go down a dusty road till he arrives at Elisha's house. And inside is the little old prophet who doesn't even come to the door. I mean, here's a man of status. And he doesn't even bother to go to the door. He sends out his messenger. Get name and they go jump in the lake. That's the message. Go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And the Bible says, name and hits the roof he is so angry by all of this I mean he is an important dignitary and Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him Elisha doesn't play the power game he doesn't come out oh name and I've heard so much about you oh this can I have your autograph hey can we do a selfie together I'd love to be able to put it on our fireplace no he doesn't um, play the game at all because it's not about Elisha this is not about Elisha. This is about the God that Elisha knows. And it's about a powerful commander who's not that powerful after all. 
And he says, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. I think what we're gonna discover here, the real problem is not just his leprosy, it's what's going on inside of his heart. And God's gonna speak a little bit deeper into it. But his pride and his insecurity, his insecurity marry together and it keeps him from knowing who God is. And, and, and it says that in the scripture that Naaman got so angry, aren't you supposed to come out and wave your hand and do some kind of a magic trick over us? Shouldn't there be some kind of a big production of me being healed? And there's absolutely none of that. Now Naaman has a disease that is actually going to kill him and someone tells him how he can be healed and he's not willing to do it. I'll not do that. That is beneath me. And the Jordan River, seriously, that filthy old place, I'm not going down there. Couldn't you at least pick a better river? I mean, that Jordan River is so filthy. And his servant finally says to this great commander, you knucklehead. Well, maybe he didn't say that. But, you know, he comes to me and says, Master, if you had been asked to do something hard and difficult, would you not have done it? If he had said climb Mount Everest, would you have not have done that? I mean, if, if he said, you know, uh, go to the temple of doom and rescue the scepter, wouldn't you have done that? I mean, if he had told you to do something impossible, like, like join the Toronto Maple Leafs and win a Stanley Cup, wouldn't you have tried to do that? If that be the case, he'd never been healed, right? If it had to come down to the Toronto Maple Leafs, wouldn't he? But Naaman finally, he comes to his senses and he says, okay, all right. And so finally, uh, it says that Naaman went to the river and he dipped himself seven times. And in verse 14, it just says, and his skin was like that of a young child. Completely healed. And you know what Naaman does next? What he does, he goes back to the prophet's house. Not as some conquering military general, but a cleansed leopard who said, I get it now. In fact, what he says in verse 15, then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He finally came to the place where he recognized there was a real God. Not one of the fake ones that he had knew about in his country, but there was a real God. You know, when I read this story, I can't help just have a, a, a picture of Christ. You know, there's so many people in this world, so many people that really try hard to prove themselves to God. I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and so God will then accept me for what I've accomplished. That's way too easy. Just believe on Jesus. I, no, there's got to be more to it than that. And I read the story, and I think how many people are blinded by the fact that they think they've got to work, they've got to do, they've got to accomplish stuff with their life. Then I can receive what God would have for me. 
So many people deceived by their works. I'll work it out. I'll do enough. Then I'll catch his attention. Then he'll be pleased with me. But we read this story. Here's Naaman who has accomplished a lot in his life. I mean, he's a great man. In the world's eyes, this is like a man's man. Like he has accomplished an incredible amount with his life. And yet he's helpless. And the fact is, we find ourselves helpless to, to fix our problems. Our problem is not necessarily leprosy. But we do have a sin problem. And that separates us from God. Like it literally separates us from God. And God said, I want to cleanse men and women. I want them to be clean. And we're told that just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our sins and believing on him, our lives can be cleansed from the sin that weighs us down the burden of it all. But for some, and maybe some even here this morning, some watch online, they would say, ah, that's, I think it's a little too easy. That's gotta be more to it. There's gotta be me plus God. Like, yeah, God does his part, but there's gotta be something that I do. I gotta have some kind of accomplishment in all of this, but no, that's not at all. It's completely God. It's completely a God thing. Now I'm going to ask you to visit. I'm going to ask you to visit the true place in your heart right now, and allow yourself to go there and acknowledge to God your weakness. You know the cross is a is a sign of weakness and shame, but God knew that through the cross, our greatest and our greatest weakness, we would find our greatest strength. Christ is risen, and he is reigning as a victorious king this morning. So what death do I need to go through so I can really live again? What is it that you're hanging on to? Maybe it's a power struggle. I heard this term, uh, Pastor James mentioned it to me uh, a couple weeks ago. He says, there's some of us that... We're so afraid to give Jesus control that we like to watch him from a distance through our binoculars. We like him there safe so I can grab him if I need him, but the reality is I don't want him too close. I don't know, somehow we fall into this delusional thinking that he does not have our best interest for us. Somehow we're deceived to think that we can do better with our life, the one who actually created us, who designed us. Let me tell you this morning, there's no one, there is absolutely no one that has a better plan for your life than Jesus. Like, we so believe that here, that's why it is our driving force that we connect people to Jesus, because we believe life is far better with Jesus, and in fact, you do life better with Jesus as well. Connecting people to Jesus. So I don't know what you're here this morning. I don't know if you're struggling with giving God, things up to God. I'm saying what God has to offer you is far greater than anywhere you could steer your life to.
far better. I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads this morning. I just want to ask you just a quick question. As we contemplate this morning, who actually is in control of your life? Like who controls your life? And if you're here this morning and your whole life has all been about control and power and making my own decisions and my own plans for my future, I'm telling you today, there's greater freedom in your life this morning if you would just simply acknowledge I'm weak and God, I desperately need you. Father, this morning, in just these few moments that we've had together, I am reminded that even when I look at my own sinfulness, there are so many times I, I just want to control my own life. And yet, Lord, when I follow that path, it always leads to disappointment for me. It always does. And so, Lord, this morning, uh, for those here who may be is dealing with a power struggle in their life between surrendering their life to you or just trying to hang on to it. I pray, God, that today that you would just help them see the reality of what it is to live in freedom when we finally give our life over to you. There is great freedom when we finally acknowledge I am not in control. I'm just not in control. But God, you are, and you're worthy of me to give my life to. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.